0: This morning we're looking at the, the ministry of prayer and it's part two in, the, in our talk on prayer within the larger series on Ephesians. So this is part 29 of that series. It's the second last one. So if the Lord doesn't return, we shall finish it next week, God willing. So as we near the end of our series in, in Ephesians... We we spent a few weeks on the the armour of God. These are the essential tools that the Lord has, has given his children, his soldiers, for the battle. But as we said last week, it is not enough to put on the armour. We also have to pray. Because prayer is the, the power, the the energy that God provides us to continue to fight, to continue the battle so that we don't give up. So for, for this reason, after we put on the armour, we need to be praying in the spirit at all times, with all types of prayer, without ceasing for all the saints. We looked at the, how expansive the ministry of prayer can be. It is not restricted. We continue to pray. There's more things to pray. Our prayer list should be continually growing. The Apostle Paul, having instructed others on the ministry of prayer, now comes here in these verses, in verses 19 and 20, he he will disclose, he will express his own need for supernatural strength. Here we have some of the the most beautiful and tender words in the whole of the epistle that we have been looking at over all of these months. Because this is Paul's private, personal request. Just as he started his, his epistle by praying for the believers at Ephesus, he is now asking them to pray for him. That's how prayer works. The strength he needed was not for his own personal needs, not for his own personal personal benefits, not for his comfort, but for the advancement and and the spread of the gospel and the kingdom of God. It was for his evangelistic ministry where he sought to rescue people from the devil's dominion. And he was there in Rome. He was at the the very centre of, of the Roman Empire the citadel of evil in so many ways and even though he was imprisoned for his ministry his missionary impact for the kingdom would continue there were those soldiers who would come when he was arrested, where he was arrested awaiting trial the soldiers would swap turn, and because he needed it, he was in, in chains of 24 hours. And as the soldiers would, would swap, he would obviously not waste the opportunity and tell them the gospel. He witnessed to them. There were individuals like Onesimus, the runaway slave, to whom Paul ministered and, and turned his life around and, and sent him back to his to his master, whose name was. Philemon. Now, in the last chapter in the book of Acts, we read of Jewish leaders who came to him to to listen to his teaching about the kingdom and Jesus Christ. Some of them were impressed, some of them believed, but obviously some others just walked away. That's the nature of ministry. But here, in the closing verses of this letter, this beautiful letter, what does he specifically ask for? First of all, he asks for clarity. The first part of verse 19. For clarity. Pray also for me so whenever I speak, words may be given me. The Apostle Paul is is praying for an inspiration. That's what inspiration is, that words are given to, to you from the Holy Spirit. God breathes. And he's praying for for clarity when he preaches. That when he speaks, he's speaking not Paul's truth, but God's truth. He wants to preach what God wants him to preach. He prays for clear communication because he doesn't want his speech to be muddled or confused or misinterpreted. It is literally translated that the words may be given to me. That's, that's a great prayer, isn't it? As a preacher, I pray that prayer. That even though I spend hours preparing, I can't just stand up here and just wait for words to be given to me. They're given to me through the research, through the process of putting it all together. It's like preparing a meal, isn't it? It has to be ready. You want it to be ready. If you're a preacher, if you're a teacher, if you're a witness for the Lord, and all of us should be, we need to pray that prayer, that words will be given us. And in this, clarity is important. There's a story of a a worker who asked for a pay raise and got this note back from the supervisor. And this is what the supervisor said in the note. Because of the fluctuating predisposition of your position's productive capacity as juxtaposed to standard norms, it would be momentarily injudicious of me to advocate your your requested increment. And the puzzled worker went to the supervisor and said, "Um, if this is about my pay raise, I don't get it. And the supervisor said, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) It's always good to know your audience when we're talking with people. But sometimes it can be challenging. When I'm, when I get invited to speak in another church, I don't always know the audience I'm speaking to. You, you can make some assumptions. Are you speaking to old people? Young people? Are you speaking to people who, whose mastery of the English language is, you know, it's not that good? Am I going to be translated into another language? The length of it? What words will you use? how shallow, how deep, how broad. There's so many questions, right? And you have to trust that whole process that in the, in the midst of all of this, that whatever I do, it's, I'm just looking at it from the human standpoint, but I need God's work and you too, that whenever you're doing something, that God's going to bless it, that he's actually going to be the one who fires the shot. Because I could be saying... Whole heap of stuff out here, which I thought are really important, but you're saying, huh? What's it going on about? So it's actually the Holy Spirit who does the both, is involved in the whole process. Your receptors need to be on. For example, when Don Carson, the pastor and biblical scholar Don Carson, When he preaches in a a church, most people can understand what he's saying because he brings it right down. But when he speaks to pastors and leaders at a conference, he's on another level because he assumes that you should know your stuff. And the Apostle Paul did the same thing. For example, in his first letter to the Corinthians... And remember that he, he spent a lot of time in Corinth. He founded the church. He spent a lot of time there. He trained them. He spoke. When he wrote his first letter to the Corinthians, he had, he had to, in his letter, he had to once again bring it right down to their level of comprehension. And he wasn't very complimentary to them because he had to do that. And this is what he said, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly. Me infants in Christ, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. I think, wow, you should have been graduating. You're still stuck in kindy, you know, drinking milk, and that's okay for that stage of your spiritual walk, but you need to be growing, you need to be maturing, you need to be progressing. What's going on? You're still, you're a Christian for now, what, 10, 20 years, and you're still having to go through the the basic stuff? Are you serious? When are you going to start eating some solid meat? I don't care if you're vegetarian or not. Start on the solid stuff. Then we see the other side. When the, the Apostle Peter refers, this is years after ministry, right? When the Apostle Peter refers to Paul's writings in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 to 17. And this is what Peter says about Paul. Our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their destruction. Isn't that a lot of? That's been going on for two thousand years, right? Because that's exactly what is happening today. Ignorant and unstable people distort. He's not just referring to the people of the world. He's referring to people within the church. And as you read through the prayers of the Apostle Paul, you you see that he deals with many matters in his prayers. But repeatedly, one request comes out. He prays for other Christians that their spiritual understanding might be enlightened, that the lights will come on. He asks that the eyes of their mind, their intelligence might be open unveiled and he and he repeats this in his prayers because he's, he he what he's saying, this is really important stuff, guys. They need to understand and differentiate between what is true and what is false, what is real, what is phony. And of course, it also illustrates the power of the devil to to blind, to confuse, to make things look one way when they are quite the opposite. It sounds right, but is it? So the repeated prayer of the Apostle Paul is along the lines of, Lord, that their eyes may be opened, that their understanding may be enlightened, that their intelligence may be clarified, that they may see things as as they really are. So you want to be clear so that people understand. We need to be clear so that people don't try and distort the word of God. Which is happening a lot. And and to be honest, I don't think the problem is comprehension. The problem is obedience. Acceptance. Surrendering to the word of God. In this regard, it was Mark Twain who, who once said, and i quote, It ain't those words of the Bible that I can understand, that I can't understand. I'll repeat it again. It ain't those words of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It is the parts that I do understand. It's the parts that I do understand. They're the ones that we should be really concentrating on, right? When the command of God is clear, therefore the other thing we need is courage, which is the second part of verse 19. It's courage, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Our world today needs a combination of not just clarity, but courage as well. The Bible has a lot of, doesn't say a lot of good things about cowards. In fact, cowards are condemned in the scriptures. This is why Paul asked the Ephesians to pray so that they would be given both, because both of these are important gifts from God. So why did the Apostle Paul pray for courage? Because when you read through the Book of Acts, uh, you don't get the impression that Paul was was lacking in courage. <laughs> no. In fact, he was in prison because he had proclaimed the gospel to, to a mob that attempted to kill him. He got arrested and the whole process of appeal and all of that took him all the way to Rome. And when you, when you read what he had to endure for the gospel, it seems like nothing could stop him. This is, I'll read this and it just goes on and one thing after another after another. This is from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 29. There's another list in his writings, but I'll read to you this one. 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23 to 29. Been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews... The forty lashes minus one. Just just think of it. Just if you wanna if the Apostle Paul ever took his shirt off, what do you reckon his back would have been like? Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was pelted with stones, three times I was shipwrecked spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in dangers from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea and in danger from false believers. I have laboured and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. And besides everything else, besides everything else, besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches, and I think that's that. The, I think that was his heaviest concern. He, couldn't, he probably didn't care too much. Oh, okay, beat me again, or another flogging. But his concern, you can see it as you read the epistles, that he's always concerned for the churches. He's not thinking about himself. He's thinking about the churches, the ministry. Guys, this is not about me. He's saying. So why was he asking for boldness in witness? Why, of all people? I think there may be a couple of reasons. Firstly, Paul was not a strong, naturally gifted communicator. Apollos was, Paul wasn't. Some of his critics within the Corinthian church have been saying of him, and this is what they said. they said in 2 Corinthians 10:10, 10, 10, "His letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive, and his speaking amounts to nothing." Wow. In other words, he's not worth listening to. That's what he was accused of. Secondly, he needed to stay true to the gospel. Paul was about to go before Caesar, before the Emperor, who would either acquit him or condemn him. And I wonder if if sometimes a temptation came from the evil one to, to compromise, to soften the message a little in order to secure his release. I wonder if Paul if, if if you don't upset the Emperor, you could you could be released and you could go on preaching the gospel in so many other places. You might even be able to get to Spain. Just, you know. Sure, there was a temptation to be more diplomatic and even don't tell Caesar of his need for repentance, his need of a saviour, despite the fact that he thought he was God. God. Let's face it, uh, preachers are more often than not tempted to avoid controversial subjects. That's on the one hand. And on the other hand, you know, don't be tempted to exaggerate your stories or to just go beyond, right, in order to prove a point. When you're in front of people... Um, It's very easy to want to impress and entertain and be liked. You know, you tell stories about, you know, I have done this and I have done, I've been there and I've done that. Pastor uh, Adrian Rogers tells a story about the man who bragged that he had cut off the tail of a lion with his pocket knife. And when asked why he hadn't cut off the lion's head, the man replied, someone had already done that. (laughs) So I think we have to be honest, right? Similarly, um, don't brag too much when you experience a victory over temptation or a victory over the evil one don't brag too much don't celebrate too long because the only reason you were able to do that is because someone has enabled you to overcome them right this is what it says in the scriptures 1 John 4:4 4, 4. because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world so if you in any way shape or form were able to overcome it's not because of you but it's whoever's inside of you remember that Humble yourself. So while it's alright to pray for your personal needs, Paul's example here, as well as the Lord's Prayer, teaches us that our primary focus in prayer should be furthering his kingdom, not seeking to make ourselves a more comfortable bed. Make Paul's passion your passion. Pray that you will be used to proclaim the gospel to the lost with clarity and boldness. All of us need to be constantly praying, as we do, pray even more for missionaries. I don't know, did you guys notice when Ted requested prayer for Magdalene, from right. She is now sent as a missionary to Cambodia. Did you get that? Isn't that how missions work? We sent missionaries over there, and they in turn send workers to other places. It's not just us who sends missionaries, right? It's happening all over the place because this is the way the, nature, the nature of God's kingdom. So pray for missionaries, pray for evangelists, pray for pastors, pray for Christian leaders to be fearless and uncompromising when it comes to the gospel and pray that they will be protected from the devil's temptations. Let's keep the main thing, the main thing without being distracted by trivial matters. Surely. And pray the same for me. Because in the times in which we live, and I'm sure on Saturday we're going to be reminded of this, is that things are going to get tougher, not easier. Be strong people. Be strong children of God. You're going to need that armour, guys. We need to be prepared also, because, why? Because this is it's my third point, because this is our calling. Verse 20. And he said this, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Despite the chains, despite the physical constraints he was under, he wanted to, to continue the mission to which he was called. And And while we can see the the suffering as a consequence of, of his preaching, of his stance, of his courage, the fact is that it was also an essential part of his calling. The suffering wasn't a result of the preaching, it was actually the suffering was actually part of his his calling. It was embedded in it. Back in Acts, this is what we read, Acts chapter 9, verses 15 to 16. The Lord said to Ananias, go this man, this man is Paul, is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Doesn't say, there's no word, I will show him how successful he's going to be. I will show him how influential he's going to be. No. None of that. And that's exactly what happened. Earlier in this letter, he, in the early part of the letter, he, he designated himself as a prisoner on behalf of the Gentiles and a prisoner for the Lord. By communicating the gospel in all its fullness, he was faithful to the gospel, faithful to the Lord who revealed it to him, and then to the Gentiles who received its blessings. So he was, he was faithful to these three things, the gospel, Christ, and the Gentiles. And the ramification of preaching the gospel is that he was in prison awaiting trial. But he was at the center of God's will for his life. This is where God wanted him to be, and from what we know of history, it, it's quite possible that he was. He went to trial and he was acquitted the first time by by the emperor, but after being released, around about mid sixties AD, after he was released, he continued to preach because he didn't soften the message. You release me, I'm just going to go on preaching the gospel. And then he was arrested one more time and this time by uh, Nero was in power. And uh, yeah, he was executed. The second time he he was in prison. But what an interesting way to describe himself. An ambassador in chains. An ambassador is a diplomat. Somebody who lives behind big walls with security guards all around. They are important people. They are representative of a nation in another nation. It's a very privileged position as they, they are granted diplomatic immunity. They're not allowed to be arrested, They're tried. They can't be imprisoned in their host nation. In any other situation, an ambassador in chains is an insult to the government of which they represent. It's going to be an international incident if our ambassador anywhere in the world is put in prison by any government. It'll be an insult to our government. Yet here we have an ambassador in chains, an ambassador of the kingdom of God, the highest kingdom, the highest king, Lord of Lords, master of the universe, and his ambassador is in chains. It's an insult to God. And there's also, you probably won't be able to pick this up, but um, it's a play on words that the apostle is saying because, because of the word Chained. Ambassadors were part of the the upper class, the upper echelons. They used to go to all these parties and get invited with the aristocracy and all of that and they wore big, thick chains, right? Their wrists and all of this gold everywhere. They were the chains that the ambassadors used to wear to display their glory and their power, their importance. The Apostle Paul lifts his hands like this and says, Ambassador in Chains. Can you get that? Ambassador in Chains. That's what it looks like. We sang the song, Amazing Grace, and the words, my chains are gone. What chains? Right? Slave to the devil. We have been released from that. But that doesn't mean that some of us one day might not be brothers and sisters around the world. They could be held by physical chains. It's a different chain, isn't it? To the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul wrote, to Corinthians 5.20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. It's not just a pastor who's an ambassador. We are believers. We, we are all ambassadors in this regard. This is our calling. This is our mission. It's interesting that all embassies, consulates, and other diplomatic posts in foreign countries, they are also known as missions. They are known as missions. The Australian mission, the American mission, right? What's our mission? I wonder if they all got their name from the same place, from the scriptures, when they described the diplomatic posts. And here you are, here I am, called on a mission, ambassadors of the highest king, taking with us the gospel of peace, we are begging, pleading, imploring people to be reconciled to God. There's no higher mission than that, is there? So brothers and sisters, if someone like the Apostle Paul needed the prayers of the saints, how much more do you and I need them? At the same time, if my prayers help another believer defeat Satan, then their victory is my victory as well because I, God used me in some way to enable them to defeat the evil one. And we all rejoice together because God has answered our collective prayers for one another. That's why this is so important. How will you have an answer to prayer unless you prayed? simple. There's so much more we can say regarding prayer, as you know, but for now let me reinforce the need for constant prayer with this story. I think many of us remember this one quite well. It was all over the news, uh, something that happened 12 years ago. In, in August uh, 2010, the attention of the world was focused on, on, a, mine, on a mine shaft uh, in, in Chile, It was uh, was in Copiapo, in in Chile, in the the desert region up the north. 33 miners were huddled in the dark, trapped uh, 700 metres underground. That's about 2,300 feet underground. They had no idea. They had no idea if help would arrive. The people outside, they didn't know if they were alive. They had no communication. After 17 days of of waiting, um, equipment was coming from overseas, some specialised drilling equipment. Um, It it was the whole world seemed to have moved into action. They wanted to know. We didn't know if they were alive or dead. People outside were praying. And uh, inside... After 70 days, they could actually hear the drills going through, but they were missing, they were missing the, the hole, the, the, the pocket, the mine. Like, and there was nothing they could do. They could hear their vibration, they could hear the sound, and s- until suddenly, their breakthrough, they actually hit. They actually hit the, the, the pocket where they were staying. And, and the pressure up, up the top, where the, the drill actually sensed the pressure, says, hey, it's broke through something, And what they did inside is they actually attached a note to the end of the drill bit so as they retrieved it, the message said, we are alive. And then, of course, everything started to happen. They knew exactly where they were. That hole was followed by three more, establishing a delivery for for water, for food, for for medicine, for communication. But the biggest, the biggest thing delivered through the whole was the hope, right? To the people outside who were praying, the family, friends, the whole world really, for these guys who were inside. And the hope to them, don't give up, hey, we're nearly there. Without those provisions, without that hope, they would not have survived. And on day, from day 17 to day 69, the rescuers were pulled to safety. Six, they spent all that time because they knew there was a hope. And folks, you know what the, the lesson here is for me? That none of us can survive this spiritual battle. It feels that we're trapped, that we're alone, that nobody cares, you know. We're going to run out of strength and provision. We can't keep going. And yet through prayer, we are given hope. We are reminded through the scriptures that God is with us, that God does indeed listen. We have this saviour who has come from eternity to our present world And he has given us hope to tell us that this is not the end. Even as I heard the news this week, it was actually last Sunday, that my mother is now in her last stages of life. She knows where she's going. I know where she's going. And every day passes and we know that this life is going to end. We're not going to be here forever but our hope is not in here, is it? This is just a little little tiny drop in eternity and we need to focus on that. Meanwhile, let's avail ourselves of the things that God has given us. The armour, the prayer and he welcomes our prayers. He wants us to pray. And, and And in Revelation, there's this beautiful image that the incense is actually the prayers of the saints that were lifted up to God. Read about it. That's how seriously God takes our prayers. And we should too, right? We should too. May God bless us as his children as we continue on. In his name. Amen.